Welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I am your guide on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. And our movie today is a kind of a departure for me. This is a movie that wasn't necessarily marketed towards me or in my demographic, but I happen to think it's a very good movie. It's an especially good example of a teen movie, which is a a genre I've had a love-hate relationship with for years. But um, what's interesting about this one is this was not a movie I specifically picked for staff picks. It was not on my radar. What happened is I had a friend who uh, had pitched it to me. She wanted to come on the show, and she wanted to do an episode, and she's like, I love Easy A. And I'm like, man, I never even thought of doing that on staff picks. Is that any good? And she's like, it's amazing. Let's just do it. So I committed to it, and then I had to watch it again because I kind of forgot about it. And I really liked it the second time. So I'm very pleased that she strong-armed me into doing this episode. You're welcome. <laughs> so uh, since she is already talking there, I'd like to welcome to the show. She is a uh, East Coast girl out here in L.A. doing the L.A. thing for a while, working in entertainment somehow. I'm not entirely sure what she does, but she is in L.A. at the moment. Welcome to the show, Stephanie Katz. Hi! So, as I said in my intro, thank you for talking slash making me do this episode. It was really funny because my mom called me earlier today and she was like, what are you doing? I go, oh, um, I am going to watch Easy A because I'm going to be doing a video call about it later. And she goes, you've seen that movie. I go, I know, like 50 times. I need to watch it again. <laughs> Well, I'm glad we uh, we shocked your mom into uh, your evening plans here tonight. <laughs> so, uh, give people a little backstory. Stephanie and I know each other through the uh, online reality TV world, and we've known each other for several years. And we are going to be an interesting dynamic because we tend to pick on each other a lot. We know each other very well. So, if you hear us sniping at each other, it's only out of love, I can assure you. We're friends. <laughs> So tell us, I guess you already gave us your history that you've seen this movie 50 times, but why don't you, you expand that out a little bit? What is your history with Easy A? Why this movie for staff picks? Okay, so I was doing a little bit of research to try and remember when the movie came out, and the movie came out my junior year of college. So looking back on that, it came out at the beginning of the year. I know I saw it in theaters, so I have a feeling that knowing the cast, what drew me to it was probably because I grew up in the 90s, I probably saw Amanda Bynes in the trailer. I probably saw Ali Machalka, who was a big deal in Disney Channel at the time. I knew Penn Bagley from Gossip Girl. And Emma Stone was kind of an unknown. But I remember seeing previews or the trailer for it. And I'm a big teen flick, teen comedy flick person. I don't know. It just they draw me. And I remember watching it. And then the synopsis was really interesting. I was like, OK. So I went to see it. I liked it so much that my friends wanted to see it the next day, and I went back with them. And then my roommate wanted to see it the next week, and I went back with her. I literally saw it three times in theaters in the span of, like, one week. Was your mom horrified every time when you kept seeing it? <laughs> she didn't know I was in college. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's, this movie was more marketed towards you as a college student, female college student at the time. I'm in my 
30s, 36 when this movie comes out. And like, I, I wouldn't have seen it in the theater. I wouldn't see teen movies. But I do remember there was a lot of talk at the time, just like word on the street and like uh, word of mouth about this new actress, Emma Stone, and how good she is in this. Yeah, the like, only thing she had been in before that was like super bad. And she wasn't even really a big deal. So like no one really knew anything about her. And then this movie kind of blew up and showed she was awesome. And I've loved her ever since. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I'm right there with you, actually. I love Emma Stone. I really only know her from Saturday Night Live. She's hosted a bunch of times. And she's one of those hosts that's always amazing. And so I just, I note those people. I'm like, she's so good on SNL. I bet her movies are good. And I went back and caught up on some of her movies. But yeah, like you said, this was really her first movie. And like, I'm not exaggerating when I say this is a star-making vehicle. Like, this is like when you see a person's career begin and you know they're going to be a big deal. That's what oh, I wait, I have think to stop of. you. I just looked on her IMDb because I have it open just for shits and giggles. And I guess Zombieland came out before EZA. So technically after Superbad, she got Zombieland, which would have been like the big break to get her the audition for EZA. But I feel like when you think of Zombieland, you think of Jesse and like Abigail more than you think of her. So it still isn't really her movie as much as this one ended up being. Yeah, this, but this was a star vehicle. This was the this, Emma Stone became a movie star because of this movie. For sure. Okay, so uh, let's see, what, what do we want to talk about? There's a lot to talk about in the story of this movie. I want to give a little back history. Um, basically, actually, why don't you explain to people? This is a like a teen movie version of The Scarlet Letter, correct? Yes. So basically, the synopsis on IMDb, which I guess is the synopsis of the actual plot, what does it say? It says... A clean-cut high school student relies on the school's rumor mill to advance her social and financial standing, which is very weird because, like, that's not at all what the movie's about. <laughs> a high school student does things. It literally is like a high school student relies on the rumor mill to help be make her become popular, which is probably – I was like, okay, like, this is one of those basic ones. At the time, those are the movies I was interested in watching because I like stupid comedies. But, like, that's not what the movie's about. The movie's really about a girl lying to her best friend to shut her up and then the lie blowing up in her face. <laughs> well, yeah, and also, I mean, the undercurrent, obviously, with of the movie is that sex equals currency and there's different ways that people manipulate it in high school to gain status. Yeah, and obviously it's just, like, popular. It, it talks about, like, high school popularity and the underlying themes of just being a teenager and notoriety and and all these different things and then there's there's I don't, there's all these other little underlying things that are th there's so much to get into so i don't want to like talk about it all right now but there's <laughs> like all the little like um political and religious and and history and culture and all of the little things that they like draw into the movie which is weird considering i read up on the the screenwriter the one who wrote the script and he actually was homeschooled, so he'd never actually been to a real public high school, yet he was able to portray a really realistic one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I read that as well. That Yeah, this – again, the, the, I did not see this movie at the time, so I caught up on it later. But I really like the style of this movie. Again, it's set in high school, and it's more of a modern teen movie as opposed to an 80s one. The 80s one would have been very you know, realistic and like slice of life. This is more – entertaining kind of over the top but it's like this movie i kind of compare to clueless a little bit in that it has its own language 
It has its own style. Like it, the the lines in this movie wouldn't really exist in other movies, but because they fit in the context of this universe, I really like the way they do that. And of course, coming out of Emma Stone's mouth, who is so naturally funny and just witty, like it, it's just amazing. Uh, like I, I, it's, it's hard to describe. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. If you if you if you've never seen the movie, which I hope everyone who listens to this has seen the movie, then like you don't know. But if you've seen other movies she's in, if you saw even if you saw La La Land, if you saw Spider-Man, if you've seen anything else that she's been in in the past couple of years or even The Help, anything that she's in, she always has that, like, comedic, like, thing about her that just draws you, like, where you just want to listen to what she says and you just find something in it that is – she makes the movie. The movie would not be as good, I think, if she, it was if she was not the star. Yeah, 100% agree. This really is Emma Stone in – easy a it's not really the movie itself she is the star it's amazing how good she is and what i've loved i've always always loved about emma stone is that she's always felt like an old person even in this movie she's like what 22 two, three, something i don't know how old she was but like she just feels like she's older than her age and like she's just over all this teenage crap yeah, it's she just kind of funny she was definitely in her actually when i looked the entire cast like the entire main group so her pen amanda ali um, and then even some of the other, like some of like the, the guy suitors, they're all, they were all like older than me, but by a year or two at least. And I was 20 when the movie came out. So they were all in their like early twenties playing high school kids at the time, which is pretty normal for Hollywood. <laughs> But yeah, again, just cannot say enough about Emma Stone, and we'll get into that in the when we go through the plot. But I do have to say one thing before we go into this. Uh, Stephanie, do you like teen movies in general? Are you a teen movie fan? I do enjoy them, yes, for sure. And you have argued this is your favorite teen movie, correct? Yes, I think everyone says for my generation, like the millennial generation, Mean Girls is like the teen movie. I want to counter-argue that Easy A is the teen movie. Easy A, I think, is better than Mean Girls for, like, my generation. Like, you were comparing it to Clueless, which is, like, the 90s. I think Easy A is, like, it was 2010 versus 2004 for Mean Girls, but I think Easy A is the movie of my generation. Okay. No, that's a good argument. I, I haven't seen all the teen movies of that generation and I will say I've talked about this on Staff Picks before. Like, I, I love some, some teen movies. I don't like other teen movies. I personally, I'm going to hell for this, even though I'm sure you'll agree with this. I don't think all the 80s teen movies are all that great. Here's the thing. You want to know why I like Easy A? Why? Because I'm a John Hughes fan. <laughs> yes, this movie is a nice little nod to John Hughes movies. All even of though the I... best John Hughes movies are referenced in this movie. And I think that's also what I like, love about it so much is because I... I love all the I love all the John Hughes movies, The Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller, Sixteen Candles, Pretty Imp like they're all. I wasn't even alive when they were all out, and I grew up watching them all. <laughs> okay, well I was gonna I was gonna bag on '80s teen movies, but now I can't because I just found out you love them. So I mean, you're gonna bag on them anyway, regardless of whether I like them <laughs> or not. Well, okay, I will say this, this is not so much for you, but more for my listeners that. Like, when I was in high school, all these teen movies, all the John Hughes ones came out when I was in high school or, like, immediately before. And so, like, I grew up right in that era. And I did not like teen movies when I was a kid because I always thought, you know, why are we glorifying high school years? None of this is important. This is crap. Why are we making it seem like this is, like, a big deal? Like, at the time, even though it was marketed toward me, I didn't like them. 
But in retrospect, I love teen movies now when I watch them. And I'll tell you why. Because they're a nice little time capsule of what time was like at each one of time when each one of these movies was made. So it's kind of neat to see Easy A, what like comedy and teen movies were like versus Mean Girls versus Clueless versus, you know, Breakfast Club. So I like that they exist now. I think they're a neat little time capsule. Yeah, for sure. Because then you look back and people look back and like, another 20 years and they'll watch and they'll watch something like mean girls and they'll be like was high school really like that did did girls really wear those clothes and like we'll have to tell our like kids or whatever yeah like this is what we wore in 2004 yes we have documented evidence so thank god we have movies like easy a that show what it was like to live in ojai california in 2010 speaking of which 2010 like when i said we were doing this on staff picks people were shocked they're like that movie's old enough to be on staff picks because I normally make sure a movie is 10 years old before we talk about it. This movie is literally like exactly 10 years old almost it, as it of right came now. Out, I think it came out in like the fall. So like in the fall of this year, it will be 10 years old. So it's just about 10. Yeah. Yeah. So this is now considered a classic for the old timers. <laughs> Which is hilarious. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, yeah, well, talk to me, who, like, loves movies from 1979. Like, <laughs> we, we all get old quickly, Stephanie. Get ready for it. Okay, are you ready to walk through the plot of your favorite teen movie, Easy A? Yes. Okay, so as I said before, we are set in the city of Ojai, California, which I stupidly thought was near San Diego until I, I was talking to Stephanie before the podcast. I'm like, where is that? She's like, oh, that's up by Ventura. So thank you for clearing that up for me. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever been to Ojai? I, I have not officially but it's like Ventura, Santa Barbara. It's like all like up over there. So I remember I went up to Santa Barbara like a year or two ago for like a conference. And I remember they were like, I knew I was close to Ojai. And because I love the movie so much, I almost was like, oh, I want to go just so I can say I've been there. Because like Emma Stone was here once. And I love that. And it actually was filmed in Ojai. Like, I yeah, just, which I, just... I actually didn't know. For some reason, I thought that it was filmed like... I thought the high school scenes were like Temecula or like I thought it was like in other areas. But when I looked it up, like they actually filmed like the actual Ojai high school is like the high school they used and the houses that they used were like real houses. And I was surprised that they actually filmed everything all up there. All right. So shout out to the town of Ojai, finally getting its moment of glory here. <laughs> <laughs> so this movie is uh, basically it's all told in the past, right? Uh, Emma Stone is basically narrating it into a web diary, basically. Yeah. So it starts with her basically saying something about like how she used to be a wallflower and kind of liked not being the center of attention and was very much OK with kind of just having high school just pass by her, she would go to college, she wouldn't have to deal with anything, end of discussion. And then that just like randomly changed one day when she decided to tell her friend this like stupid thing. And she's doing it all as like, she is doing this webcam at the at the end, well, I'll spoil, like at the end of the movie, you see that she's been doing this like webcam to like the public, to whoever's viewing, basically explaining how it all came to that point going back to this day and just like speaking in her like viewpoint of this whole situation. Yeah. And again, to, I'm going to keep driving this home, Emma Stone in every scene in this movie. And not only is she in every scene, she narrates the entire thing from a webcam. And I read somewhere that they filmed her entire webcam scenes all in one day. Is that yeah, correct? That, that was one of the other, like I'm to be, I'm to be always says like trivia, but like the trivia is, 
90% of the time accurate. So I would say that that's probably correct, that they probably did one day of filming where it was just her doing the voiceover webcam stuff. So wait, you think 10% of the IMDb trivia is bullshit then? Well, just looking at some of the stuff when they looked at some of like the continuity and goofs is stuff that like probably you'd have to really look for it or isn't really a big deal or is just like not real goofs. And it's so I'm saying like some of it probably isn't really accurate. <laughs> I like the trivia that mean that's that's meaningless. Like Emma Stone enjoyed drinking Pepsi during her filming day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. Glad I know that. Thank you. <laughs> OK, so, yeah, so it's Emma Stone narrating this and it's a web diary. And it's basically a five part story and it's a teen version of the Scarlet Letter. And if people don't know the Scarlet Letter, it is a famous novel by Nathaniel Hawthorne about a woman who commits adultery, is slut shamed, is shunned from her village and then dies. And yeah, so I've never read past chapter eight because it's so dense and dry. I cannot read it. But did you watch the Demi Moore version? I n no, I have not. I because I never had to read it in school. I kind of read it for fun because I I what? will toot my own horn and say I've always been like relatively intelligent. So I tried reading it in like eighth grade or whatever, and I couldn't get through it. Like I, my mom like gave it to me as like a classic, and I couldn't get through it. And I never got past chapter eight, which is a chapter all about her daughter. I think the chapter is called Pearl. I still remember whatever chapter is called Pearl is the last chapter I tried to read, and I just like I was taking me forever to get through this this book. So I have never gone back to read it. So her dying is something I never knew. I just kind of knew about it because I think I skipped to the end to like see what happened. But I've never actually read through the whole book. <laughs> okay. I don't think most people actually have, to be honest. That's one of those books I hear people can't get through. So I, I do not think you're alone and you are still highly intelligent, even though you could not get through it. Cause I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I couldn't get through it at the age of like 14. So. <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, that's the plot of this movie, basically, that someone is going to become a slut and get slut-shamed, but the thing of the movie is that she's not actually a slut, she just basically lies about it to get attention and to gain status, so we'll see how it goes here. So anyway, it's a five-part five story, and part one is we have Emma Stone holding up a little piece of paper to her webcam saying, uh, part one, the false account of how I lost my virginity to a guy from community college. Right, which the whole beginning is a little bit interesting because, first of all, community college, usually you live at home, like you don't live at school, but her supposed brother who goes to this college who's friends with the supposed boy doesn't exist. Like, oh. we're supposed to assume that he exists, but, like, I feel like, like, my brother goes to college, and I guess it's technically community college, but it's not really community college because, like, it's on the real main campus, so he's a real student at the real four-year school. So he's, like, living on campus. But, like, most community colleges, like, don't have dorms. So, <laughs> so you found a plot hole. What, well, I mean, it's something that's talked about, but, but I feel like you just have to infer that her brother really exists. He just never appears. Oh, maybe it's her younger brother, the little black kid. Maybe he's the one in community <laughs> college. <laughs> no, I feel like her brother – I feel like her brother – because in the – like, they say that there's something – the brother has a name that we never know. What does it say? A brother's name. Because there was something about all the names being, like, food. Food, yeah. Everybody in the family is named after food. Her name is Olive. Her dad's name is Dill. Her mom's name is Rosemary. Her, bro her brother's name in college is Kale, but her brother's name is never mentioned. <laughs> wow, the, the mysterious Kale written out of the script. So, like, how does anyone even know that her brother's name is Kale? Because he's never even mentioned in the movie. <laughs> Like, the only time he's mentioned is like, yeah, my brother at college. 
So I guess the only thing I have to think of is maybe he goes to like some kind of like a LACC. Maybe he just lives on his own, but he goes to like a community college. I don't know. Like it seems weird because even when I would have seen the movie, like I would have thought of community college as like I live at home and go to the community college by my house. But now that I'm like an adult, like older, I see that like people could still live on their own and work and go to community college and like not live at home. So maybe you just have to infer that like that's the situation. I think we're really overthinking the start of this movie here. (laughs) Yes. So Kale, the mysterious Kale is okay. Well, why don't you explain to people how, how the start of this movie goes? Like how do the the plot goes? It all starts with a lie, right? Okay. So, so Emma plays Olive and Ali Machalka, who, was a huge uh, Disney Channel star at the time. I think she was on, like, Phil of the Future, which had been, like, a Disney Channel show. And her and her sister have, like, a, a duo music group uh, plays her best friend, Rhiannon. And the situation is, like, Rhiannon's parents are hippies. And Rhiannon's asking Olive to hang out with her and her parents, like, go camping for the weekend, which doesn't sound fun to Olive and doesn't sound fun to me. I probably would agree with Olive. I would not – would rather do anything except do that. And so she has to think of an excuse to not go. So she basically tells her she Olive tells Rhiannon that she has a date to just like get her off her back. And then Rhiannon harps on her about this date. And so she has to like make up a name and make up that it's her brother's friend and make up all of this stuff just so Rhiannon will leave her alone about like not going away for the weekend with her. <laughs> I do have to say, I love one of my favorite laughs in this movie is we get this thing of uh, Olive saying how she doesn't want to go camping with Rihanna and her, Re and her weird parents. And there's a shot of Re's weird hippie parents having like a patchouli burger and bong festival in the backyard. Yeah, and they're topless. And there's a shot of the mom leaning over and her boob hits Emma Stone right in the face. And Emma Stone kind of shoots a look at the camera. That's a yeah. great laugh. Yeah, that's I was like. I definitely would not want to hang out with Ree's parents either if I was Olive, so I don't blame her. And this is coming from – and and this coming – like Olive saying all this coming from someone whose parents are named Dylan Rosemary. (laughs) Yeah, so Olive, all she wants to do is not go camping with her weird hippie friend's parents. And so she has to create this elaborate lie, oh, I have a date this weekend with a guy named George. And Ree is like, well, there's no such thing as a sexy George. I can't imagine you calling out that name in, in ecstasy. And so there's a whole debate. But, Which now so, knowing a lot of people named George makes me laugh when I watch it. <laughs> yes. I, apparently that was a thing. That was a time capsule for our kids. There were no sexy Georges in 2010. <laughs> so, we, well, no one are – I don't really like back – like, in, no one my age, really. I don't know very people, many people my age unless it's, like, Jorge's, like, maybe, like, Mexicans or whatever, who are named George. It's <laughs> a good point. Solid observation by Stephanie Katz there. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so Olive is going to stick to this plan. I'll just stick to this lie. I can't go camping with you because I have a date. And then we cut to her actual weekend. Now, her actual weekend is not quite as uh, glamorous and sexy as she's made it seem to appear, correct? Correct. <laughs> so what what happens? What she gets, It's like her birthday, right? I don't even think it's her birthday. I think it's just like grandma just gives her a card for because she's grandma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's all like his whole weekend. Of, it's like a thinking of you card. Like she gets mail from her grandmother, like a thinking of you with 20 bucks in it. And it's one of those stupid cards that plays music. And this one annoyingly plays... Natasha Benningfield. <laughs> Grandma has horrible taste. Like I have a feeling she went to like Rite Aid and asked uh one of the, and asked the 
high school worker to pick a cool card for her granddaughter, and the high school worker picked this one out. <laughs> and by the way, while we're bagging on grandma, I should point out there was not twenty dollars in that card; there was five dollars in that card. So... Oh, sorry, I wasn't. I didn't. I didn't look at the bill that closely. <laughs> You've seen it fifty times, Stephanie. I yeah, expect but I don't these look details. at the bill. Like I, I don't. I, I just always assume that everything is a twenty. <laughs> Your grandma routinely sending you twenty dollar gift cards. Twenty five dollar checks. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Never mind. I take it back. I, I take back my rebuttal. So, yeah, so this is Olive's weekend, sitting at home, getting a thinking of you card from her grandma playing Pocketful of Sunshine, which she immediately thinks is the most annoying song ever. Although two minutes later, we get a montage where she thinks it's the most amazing song ever. And she's like <laughs> singing it and dancing and and playing it to her dog. This is her entire weekend. This is the extent of Olive's social life. Painting her dog's toenails and like painting her room and doing and sewing stuff and then my favorite part is the shower the homage to the 80s yeah there is there are a lot of homages in this movie to john hughes movies as stephanie pointed out some are real subtle some are obvious there's right here she does a ferris bueller thing where she's singing just like ferris bueller and mm -hmm. she even has her hair up just like ferris bueller yeah. did and said that I, and watching it like that's the first thing that you see and i and i vaguely remember seeing it and be like oh i love that and then i look back and then later i'm like oh my god yes ferris bueller like i caught all of the references and it was great okay so this is olive's whole weekend staying home with her dog painting the dog's nails listening to pocket full of sunshine infinity times and then <laughs> the weekend ends she goes back to school and her friend reese says well how was the date you had this date with this guy george and olive has to lie basically say oh yeah it was a great it was a great date and but immediately reed jumps to something she thinks olive is hiding a certain detail now stephanie what detail would would olive be hiding here well so Re asks her how the date was, and Olive is like, oh, yeah, it was great. It was just one of those weekends. And so a light bulb goes off in Re's head, like as a teenage girl would, a weekend. One date was the entire weekend. What does that mean exactly? You spent the entire weekend with him. So then she assumes that something more had to happen because, of course, if you're spending the entire weekend with a boy, like – Clearly, something had to go down. Otherwise, why else would you spend an entire weekend with him? And that's when shit goes down. <laughs> yeah. So basically, Re, the more popular, worldly, I won't say slutty, but certainly more popular and attractive and getting more action friend, says, oh, my God. I will, I will pause, though, there. Okay. The whole time of this movie, I am under a very big impression that Re herself also is a virgin. Yes, well, I believe they even say that at one point. Yeah, it's it's implied. It's implied she she talks as if she's done much more than she actually has. Yeah, because otherwise the conversation with her wanting to know how it is wouldn't be as big a deal because she already would know how it is. Although, to be fair to the screenplay, we do learn that she got motorboated behind the Bed Bath & Beyond at one point. Yes, but that doesn't mean she's not a virgin. <laughs> I know, just for, for for reference sake, they do. So no, that. she she she's all talk, and that's pretty much yeah, that's her. Okay, so re immediately thinks that Olive had sex with this mystery guy George, and she starts you know fishing for details. You can't. I'm your best friend, bitch. You got to tell me. And she starts calling her bitch repeatedly. And Olive, the wonderfully wry Emma Stone says, you know, calling me bitch doesn't make me want to tell you details. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, okay, shithead. Yeah, so, but that, like I said, this movie has its own language, and Ree says, you liar, you totally lost your V-card to him. Why don't you have the lady balls to tell your best friend about it? And just little little phrases like that I always catch. Yeah. It's definitely 
probably stuff that like high schoolers don't talk that way. <laughs> no, <laughs> I've never heard the term lady balls. Although admittedly, I haven't talked to a lot of high school girls lately, but something tells me they're not using the phrase lady balls. No, no adults even use the word lady balls. <laughs> <laughs> it's an old English word. We're way back. That's a, it's fallen out of favor in the 21st century. But uh, <laughs> so, so Ree keeps fishing for details. You, you slut, you slept with him and Olive. Just because she wants to shut Rhea up, says, fine, okay, yeah, we had sex. And it's like Olive's rationale is, well, at least this is something I have over her. I did something she's jealous of, and she wants details, yeah. and Olive likes the status, and it's really just going to all spin downhill from here. Yeah, so in, in Olive's mind, she's like, she just wants to hear it, so I'm just going to tell her, and then it's not a big deal. She'll just leave it alone, and then maybe she'll go and have sex, and then she'll feel better, and situation closed, case closed, whatever, I can move on with my life. But that's not quite what happened because Amanda Bynes shows up. And whenever Amanda Bynes shows up somewhere, it's either going to be really good for you or really bad for you. <laughs> yeah, Amanda Bynes, uh, I don't know if people know her situation. A lot of baggage behind the Amanda Bynes story. But she was a very well-known Disney star. This was her last movie, if I recall, before she kind of went off the deep end and went nuts. Is that Yeah, right? apparently, according to the trivia here, she didn't like how she was how she was in the movie and it made her want to stop acting. I don't know how true that is or if it was just that things were just bad. I don't know how much of that I believe that the mo that her being in the movie caused her to stop because I don't think she acts very bad. I just think the character is not what she's done in the past. So it's kind of a different, it's different portrayal than what I'm used to seeing from her. And mm -hmm. so maybe it was just different for her and she just didn't like how she had to act? I don't know. I I haven't spoken to her, so I don't really know. <laughs> what? I fully expected you to interview Amanda Bynes in preparation. If I had ever interviewed Amanda Bynes, oh, my God, I think I would die. I I love her so much. I am a huge – like, I grew up in the 90s. All that in the Amanda show was literally my childhood. Okay, but in this movie, she plays a villain. I think that's what you're getting at. She's yeah. not used to being the villain. No, yeah. Okay, so Olive, Emma Stone, has lied to her friend that she has sex with this guy, George, and she starts adding extra details and all this situation, all the stuff we did. And there's a great line I wrote down here where Emma Stone says, I just piled on lie after lie. It was like setting up Jenga. <laughs> Which means eventually it's going to fall. Yeah, so, but what happens is as she's telling this lie, it's in the bathroom, and she's overheard by, there's this girl named Mary Ann, what is her last name, Mary Ann Bryant? Yeah. Yeah, that's Amanda Bynes. She's the president of the Christian Council. She's like a Bible beater, very judgmental. She recently got the school to stop having the mascot be the Blue Devils because it was, you know, Satanist. So she's like the ultra Christian conservative. She overhears this lie that Emma Stone has been sleeping with guys, and she immediately starts shooting daggers at her. And from here on out, it's all going to go downhill for poor Olive. Yeah. All right, so here we go. Part two, that's part one, and part one happens very quick. Part one is basically just, this is the lie that started it all. Yeah, and here's part two, and again, in the this movie has its own language. Part two is called The Accelerated Velocity of Terminological Inexactitude. You really did write down all of these. This is what I do. It's it's my show, Stephanie. That's what I do. I take details. <laughs> but, but that is a long, fancy way of saying lies travel fast. And so we get a really cool montage of this lie spreading around the school. And it's shot like a, one of those horror movies where you see like how a virus spreads. Yeah, but let <laughs> me just stop right there with, with this being like 
the title of part two because what senior in high school speaks like this like that just shows like that's her character is like you even see it later when you get introduced to Todd and like that whole thing that like she's oh she you're you were saying that Emma Stone always seems to act like she's like older than everyone but Mm -hmm. this character literally seems like she's older than everyone because who uses these types of words when they're 17 Yeah, well, that, see, that's one of the things. I'm just, I'm not going to bash this movie, but I was going to say why I like the early 80s teen movies the most because they were very much realistic slice of life. It was like you just plopped down a camera and you'd made a documentary of kids in high school. And in the 90s, they became more comedies and more over the top. Like, like this... Fast Times at Ridgemont High is like perfect 80s high school. Yeah, exactly. That's my personal favorite teen movie. But... That's, it's, it's literally like if you were to go into any high school in the 80s, you would see all of these people in that school. Yeah. And then this movie is a little more comic. It's comic. In fact, it's more exaggerated. Yeah. But like you said, nobody talks like this. It's a very... Like it's, the words would... that she was using, it's like some of those words I've never even heard. <laughs> yeah. But other, and it is, although it is implied in the movie that Olive is one of the smartest girls, if not the smartest girl in the school. She's a brainiac. She's a nerd. Right. So it makes sense that she would have this like accelerated language. But it also is just funny going back to like Emma Stone always seems to be like... A, young, a old person in a young person's body, like the character yeah. of Olive is an old person in a young person's yeah. body. Although this is going to be kind of mean, but it also does explain why she would never possibly get a date ever. Because, oh, my God, who could put up with someone who talks like that using those big words all the time? Right? Like no high school boy wants that. Yeah, I don't think so. I can understand why you're lonely and painting your dog's toenails. Right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> So we uh, we find out that uh, Marianne, the Christian girl, has overheard Olive's lie, and they confront each other. And Marianne, I love this little exchange here where Marianne says, "You know, there's a higher power you will have to that will judge you one day." And Olive's like, "Tom Cruise." Uh, Marianne randomly comes up to her and like doesn't know her name, which which like you seem to think the way Emma, the way Emma's character talks about certain characters that it's characters that are relatively known that like she knows who they are so like you would think yeah if she's a wallflower maybe they don't know her but also it doesn't seem like the school is that big that like they don't know her so it's one of the things like she's pretending like she doesn't know what olive's name is and olive is like marianne we've had class together for like 12 years you know who i am Well, yeah, and that's one of the, the, the plots in this movie, the undertones anyway, that, you know, Emma Stone will eventually hate that she's known for being the school slut. But at one point she says it's better to be known for something than not known for anything. And so, like, she actually doesn't mind at first because she's so used to just blending into the background. Yeah, she likes at least that, like, this whole thing with, like I said, this whole thing where, where Marianne comes in, does the whole, like, a higher power will speak to you. But, like, because, like, Olive, right, like, doesn't know her name, like, goes back to show that when you're a wallflower and you're invisible, it's really hard to get through the day because literally nobody knows you. So if so it's hard to not be known at all. So at least when someone knows your name, it makes you feel a little bit better about yourself. So were you a wallflower in high school or did people know you? I was in the middle. I was known but not popular. (laughs) I, I, uh... I got a senior superlative senior year as I'm going to say it and you're going to think it's the biggest like, oh, my God, I can't believe ever. I was the biggest chatterbox. What? No. Right. The hell you say. <laughs> right. No, I was I was a uh, known, 
but like I said, I was known but not popular. Everyone in the school, I was a uh, was 500 kids in my grade, so it wasn't really a huge grade. But I knew everyone, and everyone knew who I was. But like, they didn't necessarily like me. Like, I was kind of on like the the nerdy, like not popular group, mm-hmm. but was like more known than just being like in the background, like not known at all. I'm sure this will shock most of my listeners, but I was a nerd. So, and I was a very quiet nerd and a very private quiet nerd. So I know people that went to school with me from third through 12th grade that never heard me talk and had no idea who I was. So they did. So they would have come up to you and not known your name, even though they had classes with you for nine years. Exactly. Even though I was the school slut. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But no, there's, there's literally people that would not have known even who I was at graduation. Like, did we go to school together? Like, they would have heard your name and been like, who is Marilanza? <laughs> yeah, because I had a weird name, a weird ethnic name. It would have stood out, but that's the only reason they would have known me. <laughs> okay, so so we learn a little, a couple things about Emma Stone's backstory here, Olive. I, I, I tend to refer to her by the actress's name instead of the character, but I go back and forth. But we learn that she has a history of doing things like this before, about lying about uh, romance and sex with people. Yes. Uh, so what what what's in her past that was kind of significant here? So she brings up the point that it's not the first time that the rumor mill has talked about her sexual exploits. And it goes back to, I guess, seventh grade. And they're at a party. And at this party, as seventh graders do, I mean, I didn't in seventh grade. It goes back to me not being popular. But most other seventh graders play spin the bottle or seven minutes in heaven. And she ends up being in the bedroom with this one boy who his name is Todd. And they're supposed to make out or whatever you do for seven minutes when you're in the room. And he's so nervous because he's 12 and doesn't really want to kiss anyone or be forced into it. And basically asks her if it's okay if they pretend like it happened. And because she likes him, she says, sure, she'll pretend like Evan, even though she doesn't want to, because that's. Why, how nice she is and why she is who she is and lets him basically tell everyone that they kissed when they didn't. Yeah. So that is the overriding thing with Olive. She's a very nice person. And when she sees somebody has a weakness, she will try to help them. This guy really wants the status of saying that he kissed a girl. She agrees to lie and say that, that she kissed him. This was back in seventh grade and it was like no big deal in seventh grade. Although I have to do a little asterisk here and say, I always forget that Todd is the main ma- male character in this movie because you don't really realize he's important to the story until like right at the end. Yeah. Like, on, like he's like, you don't realize that he's the main guy because he doesn't show up like barely ever. <laughs> like he's yeah. talked, he's talked about and mentioned more than he actually appears on the screen. <laughs> well, what gets me and this is horrible to say, but like there's four you know, 18, 19 year old white guys in this movie and they all look the same to me. So I get them all mixed up. Like there's one scene that I thought was Todd, but it's not Todd. It's somebody else. Like they all look very similar and I don't know them from Disney like you do. Yeah. So that's my, my problem. I always forget. Oh yeah. Todd is the main lead here. But you don't even realize that Penn Badley is actually the main lead. Even when he appears, like you don't even realize that Todd is the main lead until the end because he's just someone that is mentioned and talked about, but is not really revel relevant to any of the actual story yeah at one point right towards the end of the movie we find out that oh olive has loved todd for all these years and todd has loved olive it's like wait a minute that never came up before how come that's a huge plot point with 10 minutes left in the movie 
yeah, it's like all of a sudden now, like this whole thing makes sense. Oh, so this whole thing is this whole situation that her and Todd are putting together. To, 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 and it's like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Small little nitpick with the movie, but still the movie's good. So anyway, we learned that in seventh grade, Olive lied and said she kissed Todd just so he would feel better and he could brag about it. And that's no big deal. But now. Although I a- disagree that and not being a big deal to have your first kiss in seventh grade, because I almost had my first kiss in sixth grade and said no. And it was a really big deal that I said no. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm not going to dispute that just in her argument. I'm, I'm using Olive's own words here where she's the one that said it was no big deal. Yeah, but, I, but I'm saying, like, in life, I feel like when you have your first kiss, like, it tends to be a big deal. <laughs> yeah, I see. It, not surprisingly, mine was in 11th grade. It was far later than most people. Oh, no. See, mine was worse. Mine was in college. Oh, wow. Oh, uh, wow. We could have a whole podcast talk about this. We won't, but. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so she, that was, that's Olive's point that it's no big deal to lie about a kiss when you're 13, but when you're 18 and you're lying about having sex, it's a much bigger deal because, like, everybody at school knows and, like, all the guys are staring at her now and she's getting all this attention. Yeah. And, like, she doesn't necessarily hate it at first. She's like, you know, it's kind of cool to actually have a reputation for once. Yeah. I uh, I don't know what the exact line is, but it's something to the extent of, like, she she's, like, weirded out by the attention, but she's not going to, like, be unhappy. Like, she'll, like, she'll let it last. Like, it's only high school. Like, sure. Like, she'll take the attention. She'll let people know who she is as long as it doesn't go further. It's like, cool, whatever. They know who I am now. I like that. Okay, and from here, we're going to go meet her family, and I have to say, I love her family. Some of my all-time favorite parents in a teen movie. Stanley Tucci is one of the best comedic actors, like, ever. Okay, so Stanley Tucci, Tucci, I'm Italian, I butchered his name. Stanley Tucci is her father, and he normally, I mean, he does a lot of stuff. He does a lot of dramas and comedies. This is one of the funnier roles I can imagine him in. Patricia Clarkson is her mother, who... I don't know Patricia Clarkson too well, but this will tell you a lot about me, is that I mostly know, know her from when on SNL with a Lonely Island, they did Mother Lover, and she was <laughs> Justin Timberlake's mother that Andy Samberg banged. So <laughs> that's what I know her from. What else would I know her from? I'm looking right now. Uh, I'm trying to think. She was in Green Mile. Oh, yeah. She was the one with the lady with the brain tumor. Mm-hmm. Which is a far different role than Mother Lover, so I'm glad she had the range there. I'm um, looking at what other movie. Uh, she's done mostly TV. She doesn't really do as many movies. Okay, well, she's very, very funny in this, and there's a running joke how much of a whore she used to be back in college, which is, <laughs> and she's well, very good-natured about it. I love Patricia Clark. So anyway, some of my favorite parents in a teen movie, and so we go back to their house. We learn these are her parents. They're kind of goofy, very, you know, have a good sense of humor, very lighthearted, and we have Emma Stone and her mysterious brother, Kale, who's apparently away at community college or <laughs> studying abroad or something. I don't know what's going yeah. on. And then the the other detail that I love is she's got a younger brother who's black, who's clearly adopted, but they try not to tell him that he's adopted, even though it's clearly <laughs> obvious. Yeah. Which I actually really like the fact that she has an adopt a little adopted black brother. Like that part of the movie is I was like, I like this little like extra detail here. It says a lot about her parents. 
It does. They're very liberal, very open-minded, very just accepting of anything, and they have a lot of love to share. And it's like not even a big deal that he's adopted. They just talk of like he's like their normal brother. Like and the at favorite, one point, the, the favorite thing is Stanley Tucci's character, like the dad. Like they're saying, like the, uh, she says something about, uh, or uh, Emma says something, and then her parents say, like, yeah, you get you get it from us, and then. Um, the boy says something like, oh, well, what do I get? Or I don't, like, what do I get from my parents? And, and, uh... He says, I'm adopted. He goes, I don't get genes, I'm adopted. And, and, so she says, goes, what? You are? We weren't supposed to tell you yet! You weren't supposed to know! <laughs> Who told you you were adopted, even though he's black and they're white? <laughs> Who told you? You weren't supposed to know! We were trying to wait till you were older! <laughs> Yeah, and the kid's so matter-of-fact about it. He's like, I don't care. Like, I know I'm adopted. I'm clearly not the same color as you people. <laughs> so, what's the little brother's name if they're all named after food? Did you look it up? Chip. Chip. Oh, he's little Chip. Okay, good. <laughs> His okay. name is Chip. <laughs> so, we'll, we'll see more about the parents and the brother later. But for now, this is Emma Stone's home life, and she's got this lie floating around about her at school. And uh, now we go to class, and we meet her favorite teacher, Mr. Griffith played by Thomas Hayden Church, and uh, explain him to people. He's like the cool, hip teacher. So there's always that one teacher in every high school, like I know who it was who it was in my school, that everyone always wants to be in that class, everyone always loves him. He, he like, is always, like, in the hallways, or I guess in California they have outdoor school. Like, the hallways are outside, which I'm from oh, yeah. New Jersey. We don't have outside hallways. It's too cold to have outside hallways during the school year. Like, you're not going to walk in the courtyards in snow. Like, no one would do that. They would just stay home. But so he's, like, walking around in the courtyards, like, making jokes and giving life lessons. So he basically he's the Mr. Feeney of Ojai, in a sense, I would say, except he probably didn't have them from sixth grade on but in the sense of like now whenever there's always that one teacher i go back to like tv with boy meets world like mr feeney was the one teacher and so uh he's the one teacher that everyone just loves his class or they just want to be there or they pay attention to his class i feel like no one ever slacks off in his class because they know that like he'll give them shit for it and that they can be open open-minded or speak whatever it is that like people probably go out of their way to make sure they're in his English class, which is cool. And you know he's the cool teacher because he wraps his lessons. Right. He, he tries to relate to the kids. <laughs> yeah, well, well, one of the things that's interesting about this movie is that everybody seems to know they're in a movie. Like, the teacher even says, he starts rapping a lesson to the kids, and he's like, oh, I'm not going to be one of those inspirational teachers from the movies that tries to relate to the kids by doing stuff like that. Let's just talk about the book. Like, again, this movie is in its own little universe where people almost yeah. know they're in a movie. It's very much, it's very much like a, it's, it's very much like a Truman Show type thing, where, like, they're all kind of in this world of, like, they know what's going on, but, like, they're not going to admit that they know what's going on. <laughs> Okay, so this is the class where they're learning about the Scarlet Letter, the famous book we just talked about, and Emma Stone flat out breaks the fourth wall and says, why is it that you're always learning about the, the book in class that somehow relates to your life? Is this like in a, a movie? So it's like she even points that out. Yeah. And then she summarizes the movie, the, the Scarlet Letter. We learn it's about adultery, a woman who's shunned, who's slut-shamed. She's cast out of her village. And then later she's forgiven and she dies a saint. And... Uh, it's, it's kind of an interesting story, but then for some reason she goes off on 
apparently they made they made a movie version of this starring Demi Moore in the 90s or 2000s, which I don't personally remember. But Emma Stone starts bagging on it. And what I love is this will come back at least two other times in the movie that people will shit on the Demi Moore movie. Yep. <laughs> and wait, I think I think there was another trivia. Was it Thomas Hayden Church or one or someone else? One of the actors was in a movie with Demi Moore. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm sure she loves this movie. I'm sure she's a fan of hearing people shit on her for 90 minutes. I don't have the trivia open anymore, but there was a specific trivia thing where, like, there was something where one of the actors or the producers or someone had worked with her. And so, like, it was one of those things where, like, she, like, knew about it. <laughs> like, they specific, like, no, like, writing about her was something that, like, she ended up knowing about before the movie came out or whatever. <laughs> Okay, and here's a line I was talking about. Again, this doesn't really sound like dialogue that would come out of a teenager's mouth, but because Emma Stone is so funny, she can sell this line. She's talking about how the Demi Moore movie does not match the book at all. And she's like, to say it was freely adapted is a bit of an understatement, governor. Like, she, like, goes into, like, an accent that's supposed to be a bad English accent, like she's saying Demi Moore has. It's like, okay. Like what? Like you're so Olive is a comedian. <laughs> yes, and she's got a Cockney accent here. <laughs> but again, an Emma Stone line that's very, very funny. And this is where they're in class, and one of the Christian girls talks about. She makes some little comment about Emma Stone being a tramp. Yeah. And so Emma Stone turns and calls her a twat which is a wonderfully underused word. I don't hear that word often enough, but she it's a, a British slang word for female genitals, if one doesn't know that. And, <laughs> and Olive is immediately sent to the principal for using the T word. <laughs> yep, because, I mean, that just makes sense. <laughs> like, you would, even, in, even a cool teacher would do that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, although the teacher does later in the movie admit, you know, when you called her a twat, I kind of agreed with you, but I had to send you to the principal, so anyway. Yeah. Olive is in trouble for the first time in her life that she, she used a bad word in class and she goes to the principal. And what does the principal do? I kind of forget. Does he, he scolds her? He basically was like, why have I never met you before? And she goes, I've never been in trouble before. And he goes, well, with language like this, I'm surprised. And he be, and then he says something to the point of like, well, I mean, it's your first time, so I can't do too harsh punishment. But like something like you, you can't ever use this language again. Or if you ever use this language, it's going to be worse. Or, it's, it's not a very harsh punishment when it's the first time he's ever met you. So... She gets detention, basically. That's all she gets yeah. is detention. Although the, the the principal does have a great line here. This is Malcolm McDowell. He says, this is public school, Olive. Like, I can't do much. I have no power. All I can do in this school is if I can keep the girls off the pole and keep the boys off the pipe, then I get a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> I can, and I feel like that's definitely, again, that's another thing where it's talking about, like, lines that don't really happen. Like, a principal would never actually say that to their students. No. So she's got detention, and uh, we find out later she's leaving the principal's office and goes out and Ree says, you know, you know, Olive has just been sent to the principal's office for using a bad word, and Ree, her friend, says, I heard you called her a, a dick and then punched her in the left tit. And, and Emma Stone, just very deadpan, says, I worry about the way information spreads at this school. <laughs> There's lots of little one-liners like that. Okay, so now Olive has to go home and explain to her parents that she got in trouble. And this might be the funniest scene in the movie where she has to explain to her parents what word she used, but she can't say it in front of her little brother, Chip. Yes, oh my God. It's it's actually, 
I, I can so see this happening in like some real family where there's like an older kid and a much younger kid. If the parents are like the cool kind of parents where, where they're, she's trying to explain to them the word and they're like, okay, well spell it. And she goes, okay, well it starts with a T and then they're going through T and then she goes, think British. And then they're going through like, uh, a, I think uh, her dad says like tallywhacker. And <laughs> tallywhacker. All, and it's like, and, and they're thinking of all these weird things and you see them do it like T, 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 T. It's hilarious. And then finally her parents are like, why don't you spell it out with your P's? And she goes, I'll spell it with my P's. And then you see, like, there's just, like, a two seconds later, she, like, spelled it out, and you see her, you see little Chip, like, looking over her shoulder, saying, what's a twit? Yes. And Mom helpfully points out, that's an A, honey. <laughs> that's a hey, A, honey. And it's a, and then Dad goes, it's a bad word that you will never say. <laughs> I like, yeah, like you said, uh, Emma Stone has them guess the swear word she says, and she says it's British, and so the dad guesses tallywhacker, which I love, and then the mom, if you listen, Patricia Clarkson saying like, nunt, mumf, and Emma Stone's like, you're just making noises, those aren't words, you're just making sounds. <laughs> this is a great scene, I love this scene, it's really funny. And I have to, and I, and I... And I would be really sad to find out that that wasn't improv because I swear that it had to have been improv. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's really well done. And then I, there's a little stinger at the end of the scene where Emma Stone spells out with her P's what word she used. She gets her parents are like, well, you don't date. We can't really tell to, to do anything, but just don't do this again. And then Emma Stone goes upstairs to her room and we get a shot of the dad sitting down with the little black son, Chip. And Stanley Tucci just says, so where are you from originally? <laughs> But even the thing you were saying, like, where they're trying to ground her, like, it just goes back to, like, the type of parents that that um, they are and how there are actual parents like that, which which I really appreciate or just knowing that there are parents that are like that, where they're like where she's like, you wouldn't know how to ground me just as much as I wouldn't know how to get grounded. <laughs> like, we've never had to do this before because we're just all get along and we're just all good. And this is not something we have to deal with in our life. And again, I, I will I will highlight every Emma Stone line that I love in here that oh like only she could have pulled this line off where the mom says, uh, well, you're not dating. We can't take that away from you. Right. And Emma Stone's like, yeah, you know, my kind of total lack of allure kind of shot that horse in the face already. <laughs> but that is true about uh, Stanley Tucci sitting down with, with uh, Chip at the end and being like, so where are you from originally? Like, that's, that's great, because it alludes back to the whole, like, he's adopted thing, and it's like, clearly you know where you adopted the kid from. <laughs> they have no idea where this kid's like, from. Like, he just, he just appeared in their house one day. <laughs> okay, we've met all the characters, we've set the stage for the movie, and now we're going to take a little turn here, and the movie's going to get a little more serious. Did we really talk about Todd, though? Because I feel like we skipped over a step. We kind of skipped over that he's the school mascot, and... He's kind of a joke at the because, school, but because we def because we definitely skipped over the step about him about making about like figuring out that when she talks about the 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 fake kiss that then we meet her and Todd who's the mascot and you have to put two and two that that's the same person. Yeah, that's the thing. I I, I do not realize the first time I watched it. Oh, that's the same guy. Okay, I get it. Never mind. We'll we'll come back to Todd. There's far more Todd action later. By the yeah, way. He's not really point... important at the beginning, but yet he's important. <laughs> and I should point out in the credits, you know how he's listed? He's not listed as Todd. Did you see what his name is? Is it Lobster Todd? No, his name is, is Woodchuck Todd because he plays oh, the yeah. Woodchuck. Oh, okay. yeah. No, yeah, that's right. 
Okay, so now the movie's going to turn a little more serious, is that Olive is in detention for using the T-word, tallywhacker. And as she's there, she's mopping floors with her friend Brandon, who I swear to God, when I watched this, I thought that was Todd. I'm like, oh, that's a different guy? Oh, okay. <laughs> so this is her friend Brandon, and Brandon is gay, and most people don't know he's gay. He hides it. Only Emma, only Olive knows this. I, and, don't, I don't believe that's true. I'm pretty sure he's out at school. Well, he's, yeah, he's trying to hide it because he gets picked on for it. Yes. But the, 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 I think the plot point of that is he gets picked on because he's gay and the and the guys at school know he's gay. And so he's trying to not get picked on because he winds up in detention because he fights back. OK, but yeah, the point of the scene is they start talking about how you have to act a certain way at school or you get picked on or you're an outcast. And Emma and Olive is now, you know, kind of an outcast because people think she's a slut. And Brandon is kind of an outcast because the guys know he's gay and they pick on him in the locker room and they talk about how sad it is that you have to act a certain way in school or right. you get pushed aside. So this will come back later here. Right. Yes. Okay. So we're about to come to part three here. Uh, this is the scandalous part of the story. Mm -hmm. uh, this is an Emma, Emma Stone says this is that the title of this chapter is a lady's choice and a gentleman's agreement. And uh, basically, so what happens here? Brandon comes over. Her gay friend comes to her house one night. And so, I feel, so I have to say it's probably like pretty soon after detention, either like that day or the next day, because there's no there's no real time. There's no there's no time frame of when this all takes place. So we have no idea like when things take place. But basically, he comes to her house and he propositions her to be his girlfriend. Yes. So the, the, this gay kid shows up, and the parents are overjoyed. A boy is coming to visit Olive. Oh, my God. Of course, he's gay, but they're, they're cool with that. They're well, baby steps for now. He comes upstairs and says, be my girlfriend. And she's like, what? No, that's not what I said the other day. I said, you know, we have to act a certain way to fit in in school. He says, no, but just say you're my girlfriend, and it will be very good for me. And she's like, no. And then he's like, by the way, since you're telling people you're having sex with them anyway, or since, since you're saying you're having sex with people anyway, why don't you say you had sex with me and it would really help me in the locker room? Yeah, basically he's like – or or uh, the conversation is like he, he asks her, be like, why don't you just be my girlfriend? And she goes, but everyone knows you're gay. Like that's definitely not going to work. Like I'm not, I'm not your type. I'm not going to succumb and pretend to, and be your fake girlfriend for you. And it's like that's not what this whole point was. The whole point was to just – say that you have a girlfriend and then people will leave you alone. And so then he goes, wait a second. People already think that you've had sex. Why don't I have you do it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He says, I can't just say that I slept with a girl because nobody will believe it because they think I'm gay. I need to show evidence that you and I did something. So there's this party tomorrow night. We can go and pretend we had sex in the bedroom. And it would really help me out. Yeah. That's her idea, right? Yeah. Same. Yeah. So, so uh, he brings up the point that she basically says, why don't you just tell the guys that you had sex with someone? But then he's like, but they're not going to believe if I just tell them because, like, clearly they know I'm gay, so they know it's bullshit. So then uh, so then I like to use, like, the light bulb going off thing because I'm very basic and white. But the, the light bulb goes off in his eyes, and then he looks at her, he goes, but I can say I had sex with you. And then people would believe it since they already know that you're a slut and have sex with someone. And then she decides that it's better to make it a whole big showing to, because then people will really believe it if it's like a whole thing where it's public. And so she comes up with the idea to go to 
Melanie Bastic or whatever her name is, mm-hmm. is party who apparently always has parties because her parents have sex a lot and she catches them, and then, which is a, a really weird plot point. And then um, they will pretend to have sex at the party and everyone will be there and then he'll be cool and popular and they, he won't get bullied anymore. Yeah, and again, this does tie into what we learned earlier that Olive is very kind-hearted and when she sees someone who needs help, she will help them. Even though she knows this might not be a good, the best idea for her, it will help him. He won't get picked on by the straight guys at school. So, again, she's very kind-hearted and yeah. it's how she gets pulled into this world of debauchery. And a foreshadow is that you find out that the party in seventh grade was at this same house. Ah. Okay, so the, I'm going to skip through this scene a little just because this is one of the funniest scenes in the movie, but it's also kind of hard to describe. You have where, to just watch it. <laughs> yeah. Watch this scene. This is one of my favorites in the movie where Olive and Brandon show up at this party, and Brandon is clearly gay, but he's trying his damnedest not to be gay. He's got, like, the leather jacket, calling everybody bro, and they go upstairs. <laughs> oh, and they're, they're pretending like they're drunk. They had a bunch of cocktails before the party, and Emma Stone is in her trashiest outfit leaning all over She's him. She's like, is it okay that we had some pre-party cocktails? cocktails at the before the cocktails at the cocktail party and she's like slur like slurring and like i can i imagine her like breathing on her and i'm just like oh my god <laughs> yeah so they right in front of everybody she asked for a bedroom i need to go up brand me and brandon had to go up to a bedroom and we got to do some business and the 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 host of the party's like okay you can use my bedroom and so they go upstairs and they have to loudly stage this scene as if they're having sex and she covers the door the keyhole with her panties so nobody can see <laughs> and they're making all these noises and moans and brandon of course does not know how sex with a woman would work so she's trying to talk him through it and he's like yelling stuff like oh it smells do you smell that and she's like no which i think is really funny because the whole point is she's never had sex but she's trying to talk him through something that she also doesn't know about <laughs> they're trying yeah they're trying to imitate the sounds of what it would sound like meanwhile brandon at one point is is trying on the lavender drapes because they look pretty he's like <laughs> yeah. oh look they're pretty she's like come over here and bang me brandon and, it, and then at one time also he's like ew that smells and she goes you're not supposed to say that <laughs> Yeah, so they, everybody outside is listening to them theoretically having sex, and then afterwards, Brandon, you know, staggers out of the bedroom. The conquering hero is just, you know, made love to a woman, and someone says, "Wow, that gay guy had sex." And they're like, "I guess he's not gay." And they asked him how it was, and Brandon kind of tips his hand here. <laughs> they said, "How was the sex?" And he's like, "Let's just say I'll be walking funny tomorrow." And like nobody knows what the hell he just said, and then he just tries to cover it, and he's like. I'm drunk. What's up, bitches? And they're like, yeah. And they all cheer. Like, that's a great line because it's literally like if you were in that room, like you could have heard a pin drop after he said that line. That's not how it works, Brandon. <laughs> anyway, so so uh, the next night, uh, Olive, you know, she has saved Brandon's reputation. And, it very, it's, you know, it's kind of telling. This is a comedy. But there's some very dark truths in it that as Brandon walks out of the bedroom, he's high-fived. Everybody cheers him. As Olive walks out, everybody just glares at her. All the girls hate her. So it's like the boy is cheered for having sex. The girl is shamed for having sex. And there's a yeah. bigger story there if you'd like to talk more about it. But But the next day, he sends her a thank you gift, right? Yeah, but I will say, to go back to the party, because we have to kind of learn why Todd's important, is uh, that there, earlier in the movie, you find out that Todd is not planning on going to this party, which is part of why 
she's okay with doing this at the party anyway <laughs> because he's not supposed to be there and then he shows up at the party and she ha- and she kind of breaks her own like drunk slutty character to talk with him and then when she notices people reacting to her like talking to a boy she gets really like in her head and like very like embarrassed and ashamed and then leaves and like leaves him there which is kind of important you're doing your damnedest to make todd important to the story and i admire you for it (laughs) i mean he is important to the story i know he's there you just don't even realize he's important he's like fetch you're trying to make him happen he's not gonna happen So anyway, the next day, Olive comes home, and she has a gift from Brandon, her suitor, and he has given her a, what is it, $200 Target gift card and a vibrator. Yeah. <laughs> Aw, what a sweetheart he is. <laughs> but this, we get one of the greater scenes in the movie where the mom comes up, and she wants to know, why are you dating a gay guy? And they have this really awkward talk about how the mom used to date gay guys and straight guys and had oh sex. Oh, my God. And... Her, my, the, one of the best lines. She goes, please don't tell me you married and had children with him. <laughs> yeah. I like, oh, no. yeah, the mom, Patricia Clarkson's like, oh, no, your father's perfectly straight. And then she's like, your dad's a little too straight, if you know what I mean, girlfriend. And Emma Stone's like, please, please stop talking, mom. But also, I still don't know what she means by that. <laughs> Well, I am not to be too crude, but I'm guessing she also has a we'll be walking funny after most nights together with him. <laughs> That's what I'm assuming she's implying there. But also, isn't Sally Tucci like actually gay in real life? I don't know. But in the movie, he says he was gay for a while and then he says he right, wasn't later. But I, feel, but I feel like he's gay in real life or something, which which is what which is always why I thought it was funny that that she makes the note of like, please don't tell me you married him and children with him, because generally he plays gay characters. Okay, I don't. I do not know. I I did not do my Stanley Tucci research, but I was assuming you're correct. And this is where you know Emma Stone has has done something wonderful for this poor gay guy. She's improved his life, but now her life is going to hell because now Ree, of course, calls her up, and Ree is furious that Olive is not only having sex with people, but like the exact phrase she uses is "stop throwing your cat at everybody." <laughs> and Ree calls her a dirty skank. And they break up, and this is basically the end of their friendship. And now Olive is furious that her friend has broken up with her. And just to spite her, Olive's like, if you're going to call me a dirty skank, I'm going to be the dirtiest skank you've ever seen, bitch. And she changes her – she, like, gives herself a whole new wardrobe and image now. I think she uses the $200 Target card and just goes to shop at the lingerie section. <laughs> Wait, there, there's lingerie at Target? I've never looked there. There is? I'm Yeah, I'm pretty sure – there has to be. There's, like, a there's like a intimate section. There's, like – pajamas and stuff all right well kudos to the folks at target i did not know they sold that there but yeah so that's that was the target card is put to good use as olive immediately buys a new wardrobe cuts it all up it's all lingerie and now she shows shows up at school and now she really is the school slut and she only wears lingerie and she walks around swaying her hips flirting with every guy around and she just to drive the point home what does she do she puts a letter a on her chest right yeah she she cuts out little like little A's in like red fabric and she um sews them to every outfit and then there's even one point where she, where she doesn't have it on her clothes but she has it on her necklace so she always has the A on her. 
Yeah, so she's steering right into the curve of the Scarlet Letter. And if you've never read the book, that's what happens. This woman is accused of adultery, so they force her to put the letter A on her chest so she's branded as an adulterer for the rest of her life. And Emma Stone steers right into that by wearing A at all times. Yeah. And this is where we get the official breakup scene where Ree and Olive break up. And I know you like this one because I heard you quote it when we were talking about this movie. Where, oh, where... sorry. I have to do I did look Stanley Tucci up and he is married. So I take it back. He is not gay in real life. All right. Thank you. Thank you for clearing that up. I know that was, we were, we we're going to get sued. I don't want to get sued here by the Tucci family. <laughs> So the breakup scene that I know you like is where Reese says, we are not friends anymore. And Emma Stone just says, oh, rats. And the most over, <laughs> overemphasized way, I just love the way she says that. Like, 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 um, I, I remember she, she was talking to the crushers. She was something. And she, oh, she's talking to Rhiannon's crush. And, or she's talking to whatever. And then Rhiannon comes up and then she's like, Oh, we're not friends anymore. Okay, that's a shame. Whatever. <laughs> oh, rats. Ooh, burn. <laughs> yeah, Emma Stone at the top of her game here. Because at the end of the day, she, like, really doesn't care. <laughs> she doesn't, really. That's the thing. She's doing this for spite. She just doesn't like the school, and she thinks they're all crap. So she's just going to go with it. And even the teacher, Mr. Griffith, her favorite teacher, confronts her. And he, <laughs> I love the awkwardness of this scene. This feels like it's improvised, where Thomas Hayden Church says, what are you doing, Olive? And she says nothing, and he's like, well, don't forget, tomorrow's Earth Day. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like she was like, she had like a lollipop or gum or whatever, and she was being all like slutty with it. And then she like stopped. She goes, nope, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in the Christian group, of course, uh, Mary Ann, I always forget her name. Uh, Amanda Bynes, they start praying for her, and they say, you know, she Olive is really out of control. She's throwing her whorishness around the school. Let's drive her out of here. So they start started playing to get her thrown out of school. So Olive is going to be in for a world of political suicide coming up here. Yeah. But now we go to part two. Since uh, Olive helped the one friend, her gay friend, now there's a fat kid who's overweight and awkward and not good with girls named Evan, and now he approaches her. Yes. He approaches her and he says that his friend Brandon told him what she did for him and he would love her to help him as well. Like she's open for business and she's like, no, I'm not going to just help every person and have everyone just say that I'm a bigger slut just because like you're a loser. Like that's not my problem. <laughs> Yeah, but again, he, he works the sympathy angle. He says, I'm just a fat piece of shit. What, 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 what am I good for? And, and then she says, and then, and then she says, you're repugnant. And he goes, that's exactly the point. <laughs> well, and he makes a good point here besides that where she says, what does she say? She's like, uh, no. She's like, no, you, I'm not going to say that I slept with you. And he makes a good point. He's like, I don't really need your permission. I could just say that I slept with you. And then I wouldn't even need you or your help at all. And she's kind of trapped. She's like, oh, crap. She's she like, didn't even think of that. Still, people would still believe it. Yeah, so he's going to get the currency for saying he slept with her either way. Again, yeah. boys get celebrated. And she's like, fine, I'll just do it because she knows she's kind of screwed. So she agrees to what? For a, a, they, they won't, She won't say they had sex, but he will, she will agree that he got to second base with her if, she gives, if he gives her a $100 gift card. Yeah. So this is her new business. This is how she makes 
bank that she's getting all these guys to come up with her come up to her and and she will say she slept with them or had action with them if they give her a gift card and she's like you know it's ironic that if these people would just ask me out perhaps something would happen but no one has that and she's like this is kind of sad part of it is she she's like i didn't really want to start getting gifts for them but also i know how they feel because i was them and was a loser and not known and she wants to like help them if she can because it goes back to her being nice exactly she's a very nice person that's the thing it's very it's easy to root for olive just because she's a very nice character and emma stone does a great job and there's a great montage here of all these guys trying to hook up with her and they're giving her all these gift cards and one guy buys her gift certificates to a foreign movie theater one guy gets her a panda express gift card and she which gets a little a little uh quip is the foreign movie playing at the foreign theater is actually the Scarlet Letter in German. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So the whatever the movie is called, uh, one of the trivia things is that uh, that would be like the Scarlet Letter in German. <laughs> <laughs> and I love listening to that scene with Emma Stone trying to pronounce German. She can't. It's, it's really funny the way she butchers it. Yeah. Okay, and then the last guy who's trying to score with her is this Indian guy who meets her in an orange orchard, and he doesn't have a gift card. He offers her a coupon, 20% off at Bath and Body Works, if she says she slept with him. Yeah. <laughs> and a great Emma Stone line here. She's like, 20% off? Is that how much our fake tryst meant to you? She's <laughs> like, I fake rocked your world. Yep, and I said that's where you see that not that not only does she have the A on her clothes, but she has the A on her necklace instead. So it just shows that she's really, really going for it, and she's like putting her all into this because who would do that? Like make a necklace with the A and like it's ridiculous. Olive is an overachiever. We've learned this. She's top of her class. Yeah. And so this is where we get the little montage, and I'll leave this one to you, where she starts talking about how her life. She wishes it was more like an 80s movie, but it's not. She wishes her her life was written by John Hughes. Mm-hmm. And then it has the scenes from all the best John Hughes films. She goes, she wants, I don't see, no, I don't even, I, I'm really bad because I've seen them all, but don't have the characters because I, like, don't recall the info like that. But she wants someone standing under her doorway with with her favorite song playing. She wants to be like the end of breakfast club she wants a really cool dance number like ferris bueller she wants to be like a uh 16 candles with uh jake in the car or sit on the back of a a lawnmower and roll away into the sunset like all of the really cool like really cheesy end of 80s like (laughs) teen flick comedies Yeah, what's interesting is this movie calls it shot. She has a little montage here of all the things she would like to happen in her life as opposed to this crap she's dealing with now. And everything she lays out here will happen to her later in the movie. It's kind of cool how they set it up like this. Although, realistically, if you think about it, because the the webcam technically takes place after it all happened, she's talking about all this after it has like already happened. <laughs> except for the except for the lawnmower part, but like the number had already happened. <laughs> Okay, you're right. You, uh, we found. Look at all these plot holes you're picking out here. <laughs> but yeah, she wants a musical number like in Ferris Bueller. She wants to put her fist in the air like Judd Nelson at the end of The Breakfast Club. She wants to ride off on a lawnmower. All these 80s cliches. Yeah. And, and all these things will happen to her. Although now we have to go through the sad part of the movie where 
It's this part four where Emma Stone says how I went from assumed trollop to an actual, actual home wrecker. wrecker. Yeah. yeah. So what happens here? How how does she become a home wrecker, Stephanie? So you so um, it starts with her going to talk to Mr. Griffith. He basically like asks her to come into his office or his room or his class or whatever, and just wants to know what's going on with her because clearly he like knows her better than whatever's going on. And he's like, I don't, this isn't you. Like, I don't believe this. And, and she goes, but like my, my hemline is never longer than my fingertips. I'm abiding by dress code. I just have a new style. I am just really into this book. Like I'm just really embracing the the story of the Scarlet Letter. That's all. And so he basically is like, okay, like, just be careful. Like, don't get into trouble. He like, it seems like he like really cares about his students, which is why I was comparing him earlier to Mr. Feeney. But so then he, she leaves. And then you see as she's leaving, Lisa Kudrow's character comes in, who you find out is Mr. Griffith's wife and is also the guidance counselor. And he asks her to basically schedule a meeting with Olive because he thinks that maybe uh, she can talk some sense into her as being like an adult and so then you have her going into the meeting with Mrs. Griffith where Mrs. Griffith basically just assumes it's all true and goes with it and it was like yeah just be careful and like hands her all the condoms it's like yeah like you definitely need these like she goes no no I don't need them because no I think you do need them like you need to be careful like you need to do this and it's, yeah, it's just weird. Well, I like how you just casually glossed over that Lisa Kudrow's in this movie. Like, <laughs> I remember at the time, this is a little trivia for people who are just listening to this now, is that when this movie first came out, that was like one of the selling points that Lisa Kudrow Which was I think it. is also another 80s homage because it goes back to uh, Romeo and Michelle. Yeah, very true. But that was like a big deal. I remember when this movie came out, she was heavily featured in the advertisements as Lisa Kudrow, one of the stars of this movie, because she had just come off Friends. And yeah, like, but nobody she's knew not who... really a star. I know she's not. That's the thing. She's barely in this movie. But at the time, nobody knew who Emma Stone was, and everybody knew Lisa Kudrow. So Lisa Kudrow was heavily featured in the advertisements, even though she's barely in the movie. Right. So I'm glossing over her like her character is pretty much glossed yeah. over. <laughs> yeah. And again, she just does a lot of Lisa Kudrow things in the movie. If you like her, she does a lot of them in this movie. Although she's no, this, kind of a... this she... character is very much like um, a like a. I, I want to say, if if Phoebe was a teacher, <laughs> if if Phoebe was like an evil teacher, because she's not nice. Yeah. No. Yeah. It, yeah. If if Phoebe was like, yeah, exactly. If Phoebe was an evil teacher, because because Phoebe is nice, but like if Phoebe was like. If it was like Phoebe's evil twin. <laughs> <laughs> but there's there's some great Emma Stone moments. We're go, this this part of the movie isn't quite as interesting as the rest. We're going to skip through it. But just little Emma Stone things she does. I remember when Lisa Kudrow is walking in the classroom and Emma Stone's walking out. Lisa Kudrow's like, oh, hey, what's that for? Why are you wearing that? And Emma Stone's like, A is for awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She goes, and then, and then she looks at... Uh, and then Lisa looks at uh, Thomas or uh, Miss, Mrs. Griffith looks at Mr. Griffith and goes, who is that? Why do I not know who she is? Yeah. 
But again, I just have to think of some unknown 21-year-old actress, you know, matching Lisa Kudrow, who was a huge established star at the time, and like being the funnier one in that scene. So I just appreciate how good Emma Stone was right off the bat. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And there's another scene later, right, right before the guidance counselor, where Emma Stone is waiting to go in to see the guidance counselor, and Marianne is out there sharpening her pencils and glaring at her. And Emma Stone is just like trolling her. You getting those sharp? Are those pencils sharp enough for you? And it's like it it there's not it means nothing to the plot of the movie. It's just Emma Stone being funny, and it makes me laugh when I watch it because she's just so funny. <laughs> the way yeah. the way she's trolling her. It's the same as earlier in the principal's office when she's uh stapling the papers. <laughs> yeah. So so what's gonna happen is I'm gonna rush this. This is the part of the movie that's kind of contrived here, where Mary Ann, the Christian girl, has a boyfriend who's 22, and he is going through some tough times in his life. His parents are getting divorced. I think he's actually really 20. 20, whatever. Yeah, he's older. Yeah. But he's going through some tough times in his life, and because of that, Marianne, the Christian girl, needs a friend. Emma Stone kind of befriends her, and they become friends for a day. There's like a little mm-hmm. grease montage where they're like best friends. But then we find out her uh, Marianne's boyfriend isn't upset because his parents are getting divorced. It's because he's been having sex on the side, and he's caught chlamydia. And yeah. this is going to go really poorly for poor Olive. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's it's kind of crazy. So she goes to the guidance counselor, which talks about. And then you said you get the whole storyline with uh, Marianne and her boyfriend, Micah. And Micah has been going to the guidance counselor because his parents are getting a divorce. That's a bad word to say in a Christian household. It's like she's whispering. She's like, I can't even say this word. And then she needs a friend. And Olive is there. She's like, oh, you're so nice. You'll be my friend. And then Micah winds up in the hospital with chlamydia and he and while he's in the hospital, his mom is like hitting like like literally beating the crap out of him, being like, who gave you chlamydia? And so he just blurts out Olive's name. Yes. And this is where Olive's past has come up to haunt her is that this boy, Micah, has been sleeping with Lisa Kudrow. We find out he's been sleeping with the guidance counselor. She gave him chlamydia. She is the wife of her, of Olive's favorite teacher. It's this whole big love triangle, and Olive has nothing to do with it, but because the boy just doesn't want to give away his mistress, he says, Olive slept with me. Olive gave me chlamydia. And now all hell's going to break loose even more, because not only is Olive now the school slut, now she's the one spreading STDs, and now people are literally picketing the school trying to get her thrown out. Yeah, and the... And one thing that, I mean, it's not really that important, but just also goes with her being nice, is that um, Mrs. Griffith winds up, um, when, when she's in Mrs. Griffith's office for another session or whatever, and after, she, oh, she found out because uh, uh, Marianne slaps her when she finds out this information, and so she goes to Mrs. Griffith, and she says, Marianne just slapped me, and I really don't know what's going on, and then Mrs. Griffith fills her in that Micah has chlamydia and said that Olive gave it to her him when really she gave it to him and Olive being the nice person that she is and knowing that her favorite teacher is going to be affected by this is like, well, I mean, I guess I have chlamydia now. (laughs) Yeah. Olive once again takes the hit for somebody else to protect her favorite teacher's marriage. And now, now they want to throw her out of school and there's picketers and just one little, little, Details in this movie make me laugh that all these picketers outside the school wanting Olive to be thrown out. And along with the picketers, there's a Quiznos guy <laughs> just selling sandwiches for no reason. And she even but says. But also, you see that her friend Rhiannon has now joined the picketers against her. Oh, yes. It's everybody against Olive. 
but there's a little thing that makes me laugh here where, <laughs> where they're, all the picketers are protesting. In the background, the Quiznos guy walks up and he says, honey mustard chicken at Quiznos. And, and the Olive's like, not now, Quiznos. And if you listen real <laughs> carefully, the Quiznos guy says, you're a slut. Yeah, no, I, I, I do definitely hear that. That's definitely something that they made sure because at the end, like he's still part of the protest. He still has to set me involved. Okay. So Olive is now completely alone. She is now covered for a mistress having or uh, covered for an affair that could break up her favorite teacher's marriage. She, everyone thinks she's a slut. She doesn't know what to do. So she goes out to search for some Bible knowledge. She's like, why do all these biblical people hate me so much? Why is adultery so frowned upon? And I like, I don't find this part of the movie that interesting. I'm kind of fast forward through it. No, it's really, it's really not that interesting. (laughs) Okay, we'll just fuck it. Skip it. Nothing happens. We, Fred well, Robinson shows the only, up. Yeah. The only thing the only thing that we establish is that Marianne's father is a priest. Yes. It's Fred Armisen who's in the movie for like two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 he is he's a priest that, that uh Olive tries to go to for advice and then uh, yeah, you find out that Marianne is the daughter of a priest. Okay. So this is, you know, all alone. Olive has nothing to live for now. She's just, everything is terrible. Her parents can't help her. Like, they know she's going through crap. She's dating a gay guy, they think, and everyone thinks she's a slut and has chlamydia, and they can't, they don't know what to do. Although her dad, in his own special way, does try to cheer her up by saying, you look like a stripper, but you're a high-end stripper, you know, for governors and athletes. (laughs) (laughs) So that's dad's words of wisdom. (laughs) And this is where the movie, we're going to go to the last act here, where she's sitting all alone in the cafeteria, and, you know, all she wants is love and to go on a date. And somebody walks up and actually asks her out on a date for the first time ever, and she's amazed. Yeah. So she, being that she went from being a loner with her one friend, Rannon, to being popular for like a day to being a loner again as the school slut. Now she's sitting by herself in the cafeteria. And I want to say his name is like, like Austin or Aston or something. I don't even know. I could not tell you this guy's name. I had no idea who he, at first I thought that was Todd. I'm like, that's not Todd. It's another white guy that looks like Todd. Anson is his name. Anson. Anson. Okay. So Anson. So Anson comes up to her and asks her on a real date. And she's like, so excited because she's never been on a real date and so he like thinks of this whole thing and and he has and they have the stupid reference to the bell jar and sylvia plath which is hilarious if you know sylvia plath and and then at the end uh one of her other quote-unquote suitors had given her a coupon to the lobster shack so she says why don't we go there so they go to the lobster shack on their date yeah, this date is like a legit date, and she's never been on a date before, and she's there and just doing Emma Stone shtick. And even though this scene isn't that interesting, I love watching her. The, there's a face she makes when the waitress brings over her lobster, and Emma Stone says, yum. And she, like, rolls yeah, her she eyes. Like, her, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, it's so kitschy, and it's like, only she would do that. Like, no one else would do that. God bless Emma Stone. She's so good. But, yeah, so... It turns out that this guy she's dating is like the guy that her friend Rhea's had a crush on for years. Yeah. And so at the restaurant, we see that Todd, the woodchuck mascot, is working at the lobster place. He's a lobster salesman. And Rhea's there with her family. And all of I like, think I, he's real, I think he's really a waiter. 
<laughs> oh, wait, oh, whatever. Yes, I, I don't know the technical term. I know you work in the industry. I do not. He, he, he's a waiter at the lobster shop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But uh, Olive is on a date, and she sees – the guy she's on a date with is the guy that Rhee has loved for all these years, and she sees Rhee at the restaurant. And Emma – and Olive tries to rush out of there. She's like, I don't want to hurt my friend. Even though we've broken up, I don't want her to see me on a date with this guy she's had a crush on for all these years. So they go outside. She ends the date. And this is where things turn really horrible for Olive when she realizes what this date really is. Yeah. So basically at the end of the date, um, he goes to kiss her or um, basically at the end of the date, he goes where it seems like he's going to kiss her. And he like whips out a card that's like a Home Depot gift card or whatever. And he like goes and he hands it to her and he goes, so here's two hundred dollars to Home Depot. And um, now like whatever it'll and now like and then she goes, oh, I didn't realize it was that. And, and then he goes to lean in again and she goes, well what did we do on this date? And then he goes, whatever it'll get me. And he's like going to lean in, like thinking that he's really going to get some for 200 bucks. And she's like, I'm not actually selling myself for money. Like I'm not actually sleeping with people. I'm just letting them think I am like, it's the whole thing winds up being ridiculous. Cause you realize that it literally got out of control. Cause people are definitely taking it wrong because he's trying to actually get her to sleep with him or, or get her to do stuff that she's not even really comfortable with doing to begin with just because he paid her. And then she ends up having to push him away a few times. And at the end she like, he, she walks away and his response is, I paid you. And then he, she like throws the card back in his face. Yeah, so people apparently thought she wasn't just, you know, lying about it. They thought she was a straight-up hooker. And yeah. she's really horrified when she learns this. Like, people think that low of me that they really think that I just do this. And so, you know, she's at her lowest point in her life. This date has not turned out well. She's embarrassed. This guy, you know, almost attacked her. And now it's like a safety thing. She's like, what am I doing? Like, who do people just think I'm in this is my life now? And so she's crying. And then Todd, her old friend slash crush slash the biggest, most important character in the movie we didn't realize until right now is going to show show up and console her in his lobster uh, waiter costume, I guess would be the phrase. And he gives her a ride home. And this is where they really open up to each other. And he realizes she's liked him all these years. And she realizes he has liked her. And it's been reciprocal all these years. Yeah. It's one of the things where it's like, you don't know what someone thinks about you, but you don't want to say anything because you don't want to embarrass yourself. So it's like she never said anything about how she feels except to her closest friends who had been like Rhiannon. And he never said anything because she was always so un unfazed by life. Like she seemed like she was better than everyone or whatever. So he didn't want to – so he didn't think she was interested. And then when they're talking, like he brings her home and she goes, how do you know where I live? He goes, I remember where all the cool people live. Like she was like, we carpooled in second grade. And so it's one of the things where you realize that he – has liked her for a long time and has been and has tried to be around her and has tried to stay in her life. And, and it, it's like kind of a really sweet moment when he says, if I don't tell anyone, can I kiss you? And she says, no, because she doesn't want to kiss him when she's been crying and is a mess. And, and I actually thought that that was like, probably like the sweetest moment in the whole movie. Yeah. This whole scene especially is very sweet. That scene. And right before it, there's a scene where he's like a, you know, I, I heard all those rumors about you, but I never believed them. And she's like, really? Why not? And she's like, he's like, because I know you. You cover for people. Like, I know you're just saying like, I, because Because I remember the shy little boy that wasn't ready to kiss a girl yet. Yeah, and you the, did and it the, for and me. The, and, the cool, and the cool girl who was willing to, to say it. 
Yeah, so it, like, there's a strange emotional resonance that kind of hits you right here. You realize, oh my yeah. god, this like this is actually a very sweet movie. And he wants to kiss her at the end, and she's like, no. And he's like, why not? She's like, because I do want to kiss you, but I'm like, I'm crying. I just you know almost got attacked tonight. My mascara is running. She's like. I do want to kiss you, but not now. It has to be perfect. And this will set up the end of the movie where she will get the perfect kiss. But for now, all that she realizes, she has one ally and she's had him all along. She just didn't know about it. Yeah. And it sets into motion that now that – and it sets into motion um, when she goes into school the next day all pissed off and angry and walks into uh, Mr. Griffith's classroom and just blurts out that – Micah has chlamydia and was sleeping with his wife. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. All the lies have to end here. She wants to end all this. But unfortunately, Brandon, the gay guy, has run off with his boyfriend. He can't say anything to refute the lie. The fat kid, Evan, is not going to refute the lie. The guidance counselor, uh, Lisa Kudrow, is not going to refute the lie. Nobody's willing to say that Emma Stone was covering for them. So she does the one thing that angry Olive will do. She goes to Mr. Griffith, says, your wife is cheating on you. That's how Micah got chlamydia. And she basically ends their marriage. And she feels yeah. horrible. And this is how we set up the end of the movie, which is Act 5, her atonement, basically. Yeah. So then you find out that her and Woodchuck Todd decided to like plan this thing for the pep rally because I guess now ever since that car ride home they hang out a lot which is not something that's ever mentioned but it's just assumed <laughs> movie magic you just have to infer things uh -huh. uh, and so then you have the pep rally where because he's the mascot she is hiding in the wheelbarrow and then so then she comes out of the wheelbarrow and the band is playing. I don't even know what song they're playing. Um, I think it's knock on wood. Oh yeah, that's right. And then um, she comes out in her like sexiest lingerie outfit with her a and a boa. And she does a whole lip sync thing and she goes and puts on this whole big show and she pulls off um, Todd's uh, woodchuck outfit to have his blue devil hot uniform on again. And there's this whole big thing with them promoting her webcam where she's going to basically spill the truth about everybody. <laughs> well, no, you misinterpret that. I just caught the little detail here. It's it's muddled under the music, but she says, this is part one. I'm doing a show for the crowd at the pep rally. Again, she wants all the school to hear the truth. Part one is this striptease dance she does at the gym. And then she says, this is only part one. Part two is tonight on my webcam. I'm going to bang a woodchuck. That's what no. she says. She says, no, she, tune she in tonight because it, you'll see you'll see me have sex with right. this guy. She says it to get them to watch the video where she's going to spill the beans. Yes. She says, tune in to this website, freeolive.com, tonight at 6 o'clock. You'll see me do, you know, do whatever I want with Todd. It's going to be hot just because she knows everyone will tune in. And this is where she's going to do her little webcam, her web show that she's been doing the whole movie. And I do have to point out, I think you probably read this on the trivia, that – as of a few years ago, they kept that free olive website on, like up the entire all the all those years. And I think it was an advertisement for the movie. If you went there, um, I think so. Yeah, I, I think now it goes to the Sony Pictures website, though. Okay, and there's nobody having sex with a woodchuck, correct? No. <laughs> okay, that's the dark web version. But yeah, no, they make this plan that because the whole school thinks she's a slut anyway, they'll she can get them to watch her web her webcam. If she says that she's going to be, like, having sex, 
in order for her to basically spill the tea on everything that happened. Yeah. So that's the plan. And she did. It all works as expected. Everyone tunes into this webcam to see her have sex with Todd tonight. And instead, they get her video diary. She's been doing this entire movie that explains how she got this reputation, how she did it, why she did it, how she never actually did anything with anyone. And then she even gets, you know, has a lesson for a teacher. She's like, you know, I read the Scarlet Letter and I read through it. And she's like, you know, the book never said one important thing. It never told you how shitty it feels to be an outcast. And that's what she got from the book. And that's really the end of the movie from her perspective, although we do have the great 80s ending here. Yeah. So then she so then at the end, um, while she is like saying all that, um, you see everyone watching like all the quote unquote characters in the movie watching the webcam, including her, including Mr. Griffith, including Evan, including Sanjay, um, inc- including Marianne's dad. And then you see Rhiannon on her phone. You're assuming she's watching the webcast, but really she just has a text message from Olive that says, like, she's sorry. Um, like, she says, like, I'm sorry I lied. And, like, that's, like, a really, like, a really cool moment that she, like, this whole thing is because of that one lie. And then you hear music. You hear um don't you forget about me or whatever song is playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she looks out her window and Todd is there with a lawnmower holding speakers, playing the song very eighties. Like she wants, like she basically was just talking about and, and her response is, Oh, so you've been watching my webcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's again, the movie called it shot earlier. She wants the John Hughes ending. She wants the, you know, John Cusack holding the speakers over his head. She wants to ride off on a lawnmower and Todd has done all that. He's got a riding lawnmower. He's outside her window, holding up the world's tiniest speakers <laughs> playing. Don't you forget about me. And it's the mega happy ending and she's going to get everything she wanted. And then she turns back to the camera and she says this great line here where, she tells all her listeners, she's like, you know what? That's Todd. You know, we're going to go out and I love, I like him and we're going to, you know, we're pro- I'm probably going to lose my virginity to him. It might be tonight. It might be you know, five years from now. It might be the day we get married. I don't know. But you know what? When I do lose it, it's none of your goddamn, goddamn business. business. That's great. And that's really the end of the movie as she runs off to be with Todd and everyone watching on the video is disappointed because they not didn't get to see any sex tonight. And, and, and like you were saying earlier and talking about the Demi Moore, the the best part is that you see like Sanjay who's like trying to refresh. He goes, what? You thought you were going to take off your clothes. Even Demi Moore took her clothes off. <laughs> that is a fantastic callback joke. Yeah, the Demi Moore jokes through this movie are great. And then she runs off and uh, we see Mr. and Mrs. Griffith. And I think it's implied they're not going to get back together, that Mr. Griffith sees the truth and he's not going to forgive his wife. I kind of forget that. Yeah, so while this before that little moment when when they basically show everyone watching the webcam, you see him sitting with his laptop presumably watching this webcam, um knowing that she wasn't actually going to be doing anything bad, but like like supporting her and then you see Mrs. Griffith walk up behind him and try and talk to him and he's just staring ignoring her. So you know that there's like an issue that they're not going to get past and that like they're something has changed and there's going to be no coming back from this. Yep. 
And the movie ends with Olive and Woodchuck Todd riding off on a lawnmower. And she has done everything she wanted to get out of her John Hughes ending. She got her kiss. She got to ride off on the lawnmower. And it ends with them riding off the screen with their fists in the air like Judd Nelson in Breakfast Club as (laughs) Don't You Forget About Me plays. And it's a very nice homage to 80s movies. And thus ends a surprisingly strong entry into the teen movie genre that yeah. You, I, I, you know, I can see your argument. This might be, if not, you know, one of the best, the best teen movies out there, because I really think it's very well done. And one of the things that we didn't talk about, which probably isn't important, but it was just something that I was hoping would be brought up, is um, she makes note when she talks about um, all of these like 80s movies, but she doesn't know any um, guys who run off with hulking black guys. And then you see that at the end, Brandon's boyfriend that he ran off with is a hulking black guy. And when they show the clips of everyone watching the webcam, you see him watching what you think is the webcam when it's really him and his black boyfriend watching Huck Finn. Wait a minute. Okay. Uh, to defend the 80s, you're making the 80s movies sound very racist that nobody ever runs off with the black guy. But it's that's that's it, a callback no, earlier she, in the movie. She because... was coming back. She was specifically talking about Huck Finn. Yeah, because they talk earlier in the movie how you see stuff in movie and in books that doesn't happen in movies, and she's like, Huck Finn runs off with a big black guy. You never see right. that in the 80s. No, so, that's what I'm saying. Like, we haven't talked about that, but I was saying, like, but that's that's a foreshadowing that, yes. like, that's going to happen. Yes, the Huck Finn subplot. You don't expect to see many Huckleberry Finn subplots in teen movies, but this one carries off a very charming one where Brandon ends up with a hulking black boyfriend, and now now he's happy. Now he can be who he is. And they're watching the literal scene from Huck Finn. That's the the quote-unquote homoerotic one that everyone talks about. Yes. Thus ends the movie on a black-and-white homoerotic Huck Finn shot. But again, this is a great movie, and I'm really happy that you brought it to my attention for Stapics, because it's not one that I would have considered, because I didn't remember when I first saw it thinking it was that big a deal. I remember thinking it was cute, but I only saw it once. I hadn't seen it in 10 years until you mentioned it for staff picks and I watched it. I'm like, Oh my God, this is really like really funny and really good. But above anything else, even if you don't look at it as a teen movie, I look at it. This is a star making vehicle for Emma Stone. And if you like Emma Stone at all, this has to be required viewing because it's like her, her, she's the entire movie. Yeah, but also so you have because Penn Bagley was a big deal because he was in Gossip Girl at the time. Lisa Kudrow was just coming off of Friends. Thomas Hayden Church was still a relatively big name. You have, I said, you don't know Ellen Chalka, but she was a big Disney star at, at the time. You have Amanda Bynes, who was big in her own right at the time. All of these big names that were there to help support the rest, like this cast to help like support Emma's lead. And then the r- weird one cameo by La Lane and that other Brandon ran away scene, which which I always thought was the most random part that they just randomly had this one Disney Channel star just show up in this movie for this one line and then run away never to be seen from again. <laughs> yeah, it's just a, a solid movie. And it, what's funny is I had mentioned I was doing this on Staff Picks and I got a lot of feedback from people. There's a lot of closet or an even non-closet Easy A fans out there that this movie I think is more popular than I suspected. But I just want to, again, give it my personal endorsement. I love it. I know you love it. And uh, I'm really happy that we did this episode. Me too. I, I'm glad that you finally learned that I'm right for once. <laughs> you know, we went most of that episode without arguing. This is not a typical Mario and Stephanie conversation. I know. But that's a good thing. It means that I'm right because you agreed with me no, on how good the movie was. You're wrong. 
<laughs> Sorry. I had to get that in at the end. Yeah, so you, you're, yes, you are correct, Stephanie. You're amazing. And uh, even though they voted you biggest chatterbox, I know you were the most beloved, special person in your high school. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm, gl- I'm glad that we're showing this movie the love it deserves. I'm glad that uh, all the feedback from uh, you announcing that we were doing this was giving a lot of love to this movie. And I'm hoping that it'll get other people to to see the love or to renew their love for this movie, because I definitely think it's one that will stand the test of time. Very Ferris Bueller-esque, very, I don't know uh, what else I can compare it to, or Mean Girls has been able to be seen, like shown over time or different TV shows that are able to hold their own over time. I think it'll definitely be one that will be relatable in 20 years from now still as well. Now, I know Emma Stone, you know, obviously she's won an Academy Award for Best Actress. Are there other movies like this where she is just the entire lead of the movie and it's a comic movie? I'm trying to think off the top of my head because I want to I want to watch more Emma Stone stuff. I really think she is a special talent. Other movies that she did? I'm just curious. Were there other comedies of this era after this where she was a big star like this? I'm think I'm looking. Um, well, the only one that she did where she's like the main star is not a comedy because right after this, she did The Help, but that's not a comedy. Yeah. Okay. See, that's the thing. She became a dramatic actress. I'm just, I, I, as a comedian myself, I love watching people who I think are very naturally funny and it's very rare to find someone that young who had such good comic instincts. That's why I will specifically go seek out more Emma Stone stuff. So I'm, that's my one takeaway. Yeah. This, this seems to be the only one that she did that was comedy because after this everything she did was more of the like dramatic kind of stuff or if they were comedy she wasn't the lead okay well i will keep an eye out in the future then because that's my goal i like i like seeing these comedians develop and just watching their career but yeah it's i'm kind of astounded i did not pick her up pick up right away how amazing she was when i first saw this so that's again my takeaway yeah okay well i think that's about it do you have anything else to add about this movie uh before we sign off here um no, I don't think so. I said, I I think um, anyone who is a fan of 80s films or just knows 80s films will really appreciate it, will really appreciate this movie if they've never seen it because of all the, the references. Anyone who likes culture and history or who uh, knows film and gets the foreshadowing will really appreciate it once they've watched it one, like a few times because they're able to, to pick out like what makes the script like just that great. Yeah, it's just distinct. Again, this movie has its own language and style. And yeah, one day, if it's not there already, it will be a beloved classic. And yeah. once again, my name is Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. Uh, if you need to reach me, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. Until the next time, I'll be out there searching for more movies that deserve more love. And I'll try to find some chatterbox to come on and talk about them with me. Until <laughs> next time, I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Olive, do we need to have the talk again? No, it's just a thing that's going around. You know, nothing you're saying is making me feel any better. Not to mention how you've been dressing the last few days. No judgment, but you kind of look like a stripper. Mom! A high-end stripper. For governors or athletes, but stripper nonetheless. Oh my God!